guys, turn to me, uh, with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you'll stand, our great God's honor. That was loud. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I did not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ, which offers us hope. Father, we know that we are broken and uh, we need need to be mended, Lord, and the only way that can truly occur is by you. And so, Father, as we think about our church family, as we think about being part of the family of God, we want to be, be yours. We want to live like that, Lord. We want to impact those around us. So, Father, I pray that you speak through through me and Andrew Scott this morning as we share, Father, the heart of, Father, looking beyond these four walls, Lord. And uh, so just move in us and work through us for your glory. I thank you that you're before us, Lord. You, you're already here. And, and we take great comfort in knowing that your spirit, Father, wants to speak to us. So help us to listen. And may you move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So now we come to this section of scripture with Paul. He's, and he begins by sharing in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. Paul basically says, look, I'm willing to take the mask off, guys. I want you to see that although God has a specific mission for me, that I have not arrived yet. I am still striving and, and working to, to follow Christ each and every day. This is not a done deal. I haven't obtained all this. I'm not perfect. He says, but I have a heart that wants to press on toward God's call, toward what God wants of me. He says... I, I want to take hold of Christ who's taken hold of me. And, and he says here, one, this one thing I do. First he says, guys, he says, forgetting what is behind. And, and there's a couple of things here. First, as you look at Paul, here is a guy who was dealing with his past. It, it's interesting, in Ephesians 3.8, he describes himself as the least of all God's people. Then you come to 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. You know, I'm supposed to be the guy that goes out there and does all this great work, but guys, I've got, 
I've got to struggle too. And then you come to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and he says that I'm the worst of all sinners, the chief of all sinners. He says, you just don't know the darkness at times that, that I deal with in, inside. So he doesn't come with the mask on. He starts by simply saying, this is what I look like. I, I see myself without God. But thankfully, God sees me. We talked about that last week and the importance of that. The fact that He sees us allows us to move in His strength and with His power and for His glory. And He says here, notice, notice here, this is tough. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I think for so many churches... Um, they look back in the past and they say, well, these were our glory days. This is when, man, things were, you know, where we want them now. But the fact of the matter is, the glory days should never lie behind, but ahead. Because in Jesus Christ, there is a blessing that awaits us because of the gospel. He has blessed us and he wants to bless other people. It is not enough just to look to yesterday. I think of Ecclesiastes 7, 10, 11 Bible. It says, don't long for the good old days, for you don't know whether they were any better than these. But thankfully, in Christ, man, there's a lot that lies ahead. And, and I want to just spend a few minutes, and, and Scott's going to share some time too. Um, we want to see, we want others to see a place that says we want you here. A couple of things in 2022 that's around the corner. One is there are plans, and hopefully all you guys got a letter um, explaining this, plans that have been voted on that we had in business meeting to build a playground, a really nice playground out in the area here outside. And uh, We know that that is not going to guarantee that young families will come, but we want to at least be able to leave a welcome and say, you are welcome here. We care about you. We want you here, and we want to show that. And so, and also there's going to be some remodeling that occurs in the children's area. Man, we want young families to come in here and see a place that is for them, a place that says, welcome. We want you as a part of Kingsway Baptist Church. We have a sign that you see down the road where Shoney's is that has been there for a while, but it's been redone with plans uh, on coming into the church. I call that Kingsway Lane. You come up Kingsway Lane, you look to the left, you see that sign. It's going to be redone in a modern fashion like the sign at the road and eventually to get to this sign up here because we want others to see that we're a place that wants to grow together, a place that doesn't want to live in the past but wants to follow God day by day and the steps and what he has ahead for us. We also want the community to see that we care. The outreach team has been working on some ideas, been discussing ideas for hands-on ministry. We, it's been a blessing for us. I've seen the generosity of, of you guys in being able to give to different types of ministries that are active in our community. And, I, of course, I want us to continue to do that. But I also want us to 
be able to firsthand meet people who are hurting and to leave a message out in our community of who we are, a community that of believers who cares about the community outside and that's around us. Uh, we've reached out to some of our schools and we're hoping for mission opportunities after school to reach with kids and hopefully to help teachers as well and just to let our schools those there the students and the staff know the Kingsway Baptist Church cares about you and we want to be involved we want you to know we care there is a ministry called soup for the soul that the 50 ups several have been involved in and matter of fact it meets every third Saturday of the month and the, the effort there is to reach out and feed the homeless there's clothing also that is provided there uh, this Saturday at 10 o'clock. A couple of us plan to be there. Of course, invite you to, to come and just be there. You can get firsthand involved. You can just be there just to see what's happening there, how people are being ministered to who have so little uh, so that we can show love to them. So there are different ministries and opportunities and I pray in 2022 that each of us are able in some way to show the light of Christ out in the community. To show that we care, that we have a concern and a love. And the third area uh, deals with a pilot program that a number of us have been talking about and we um, have discussed in church council. Um, we're going to call this K-Groups, and what it is, it's a small group ministry. A pilot program, we're looking at three months, a quarter, to test this out and to see how these um, groups, how effective they are for our church. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to spend time together, to get to see Jesus in one another, and hopefully an opportunity maybe to invite some neighbors to come as well in our home. And as we seek to do this pilot group, during that time, we won't have our normal adult meetings on Wednesday and Sunday nights. Um, but we will strive to do some activities together as a church uh, during this time uh, of that three-month period. But encourage you... Um, to pray about being a part of that. And uh, this time I'm actually going to turn it over to Scott. He's been doing some groundwork in um, developing these groups. And he just wants to share his heart with you. He's been involved in something similar for years before they moved here. So turn it over to you, Scott. I came to know Jesus as my Savior at the age of 21 years old. And if you think about yourself at 21, uh, by then pretty much all my patterns of living were already in place. And pretty much all of them were wrong. I was a little hellion. Um, people that knew me growing up, when they heard I became a pastor, they were all in shock. And... I mean, the cops brought me home my senior year of high school more times than I'd like to admit. So it was as much a shock to me as anybody else. Gail and I got married at 19, and um, 
within two years, I kind of learned I didn't know anything about being a husband. And Jennifer was born a year after we were married, and I didn't know anything about being a dad either. And it went downhill quick. And we were on the verge of being done already in two years when we got an invite to church. And we went, and for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel that Jesus died for me, was buried and raised from the grave to give me new life. And I heard the message several times, and man, inside I was in turmoil. I was thinking, if that preacher's right, I'm in trouble. Uh, but the other little man on my shoulder would say, he's just some guy up there yapping, he doesn't know anything. But I finally couldn't take it anymore, and one night I crawled out of bed and got on my knees by the bed and surrendered to Jesus the best way I knew how. Had no idea what was coming. Uh, to make a long story longer, no. Gail had bought me a Bible that year for Christmas, and we were a young married couple. I just put this on Facebook. Some of you read it. Our TV blew up. We didn't have any money to replace it. And I'd come home from work. I was building houses at the time. And I'd sit there on the couch at night looking around like, what in the heck do you do without a TV set at night? And I got a nudge inside, and my Bible, big black Bible, was laying over there on a table. I'd not looked at it since I got it. And I got this nudge, why don't you find out what's in that book? And man, every night, I started reading the Bible and did that for several years. I've read through the Bible probably 25 times in a couple years. Couldn't get enough. At first, it was like reading another language. I didn't know who all these old guys were they're talking about. But the more I read it, the more the pieces fit together. By the time uh, I was 25 years old, we had two children, and God called us in the ministry. A lot of amazing stories, but I got hired by a construction crew in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, building houses while I was going to Bible college, and all the, all the guys on the crew were brothers, <coughs> brothers and a father and me. I was the only outsider, and they were all graduates of Bible college, and while we were working, we'd play this game, like somebody would say, where's this in the Bible? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the great resurrection chapter? Where's the clearest place the gospel is in the New Testament? I knew them all. And these guys are saying to me, what are you going to Bible college for? Man, you already got this thing. Well, I went through, crammed five years of Bible college into seven because I was working full time the whole way. And then God put me in a little church in Hamptonville, North Carolina. Does anybody know where that is? It's where 77 and 421 cross right south of North Wilkesboro. And I, I'm convinced that God put me out there in this little country church, 45 people, so I couldn't do too much damage. For 25 years, I was a Christian. I was part of a church. I was pastor of two churches for 18 years. 
And we did Sunday morning service, and we did Sunday school, and Wednesday night, and, and nobody knew me. You know that 40% of America today says they're lonely? You know, I know most of your names now, not all of you, but most of you. I know just that much about you, but I don't know you. Other than your spouse, and sometimes that's questionable, does anybody really know you? This setting is not conducive to getting to know you, is it? We all sit in a row next to each other, but we don't really talk. We shake hands, say, how are you doing? I'm fine, you're fine. We're all fine, let's go home. We have Sunday school, which is really designed to learn God's word. And most of the time, it's more about the lesson than getting to know each other. So we got introduced 20 years ago to these things called small groups, life groups, cell groups, home groups. It's where a group of Christians meet together in somebody's house. Could be any night of the week, whatever works for you. And that environment is designed to build community. It's uh, designed to get to know each other at a deeper level. And you know what happens when you get to know people at a deeper level? You begin to care at a deeper level. And once you have a core group of people that really care deeply about each other and know each other and still love each other, it's easy to invite another couple into that group and absorb them into that atmosphere and pretty soon they open up about their lives. Oh. We've been in Baptist churches all our life, and one of the things I learned in Baptist churches is we make the main thing the main thing, and that is coming to know Jesus as your Savior. But what we don't really emphasize much is that when you invite Jesus into your life as your Savior, you just enrolled in kindergarten. If you're anything like me, I had 21 years of bad patterns already established. And the scriptures say, like in Ephesians 4, that we have to take off the old and put on the new. And that's a process that goes on the rest of our Christian lives. The objective of the Christian life is to be like Jesus Christ. And we know from scripture that we're not going to be like him till we see him. So between now and then, we're all in process. We're all developing. We all have areas of our life that are not Christ-like. We all have areas of our lives that we're blind to. And man, when you can get into a group of people that you trust, that's safe, and safety is a key word. And I, I want to share with you what I think church ought to be like and what these K groups, we're calling it for Kingsway, they're there are groups that we're going to launch. The leaders of those groups I'm going to spend the next couple months with sharing with you what it takes to be a good facilitator of a life group. 
because it's not like Sunday school where you're going in to learn a lesson. We're going in to help us be better lights. And to do that, we have to get real. Do you know most of the time in church, a lot of times people will say stuff like, and I'm having trouble connecting there. And I know why, because I did it for a long time. We come to church with our public image showing what we want everybody else to think about us. And all we do is bump into each other's images. And so you, you can't connect that way. You're just bouncing off somebody else's image. It's kind of like those sumo wrestler suits. We blow them up, put them on, and go to church and bump into each other. But what if we could be in an environment, <clears throat> and this won't happen the first night, but you get into an environment where the leader is vulnerable, and you learn it's safe to share maybe a, a long, ongoing battle you've had your whole Christian life, but you've kept it secret. Somebody said, we're only as sick as our secrets. Are you all familiar with the prodigal son story in Luke 15? Man, I identify with that story because it pretty much describes my life before Christ and after Christ. You say, what? Yep. And you know what everybody wants? I'm, I'm just going to share the ending of this story. It's in Luke 15, 20, if you want to look at it. You know the story. The one boy demanded his inheritance early. His dad was still living. Father gave him a boatload of money. The kid wasn't prepared to handle it. He goes out like a heathen, eats, drinks, carries on with wild women, you know, all the stuff that people are doing all around us today. And I've found out in my ministry, people in church carry on like that too. We just don't tell anybody. We say, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. You wouldn't believe the stories I've heard over the years. This son ran out of resources. Good Jewish boy finds himself feeding pigs. And he comes to himself. And he says, man, I'd be better off being a servant at my dad's house than I am in this hog pen. I think I'll go home. He's making up this whole speech he's going to tell his dad when he gets there. But it says in the Bible, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Listen to this now, because this is what we have to become as a church as K-group leaders, filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father basically ignored his speech and said to his servants, quick, 
bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, which represented he belongs to me, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf. We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Can you imagine a place where you are known to the depths of who you are? And you were loved. And you were embraced. And you were cheered on. And you were celebrated because we're glad you're here. No matter where you've been or what you did. So the problem in most churches is once we make that initial decision to trust Jesus, then everybody assumes we got it all together. Now we're part of the mission team. But most of us down deep don't feel like we're part because we're not worthy to be part. I had written notes for today and forgot him, left him on my desk. But I got a phone call this morning. And when I got here and realized I forgot my notes, I frantically called my wife and she already left. So I said, well, God, I guess you want to improvise. I got a call this morning, friend, that his name is Bubba, and he's a Bubba. In probably 1994, we started a ministry at the church I was pastoring to help people who battled with addictions. And that ministry changed our whole ministry because we said, okay, we're going to do this. At that time, we were a suit and tie church, all buttoned up experts at bumping images and we said what happens if some of these people start coming to church how's our church family going to respond because <laughs> the guy that was leading it said now I got to warn you pastor some of these people are going to come in they're going to be tattooed and no teeth and they don't own a suit to their name they're going to come in tattered jeans and everything else what are we going to do and I had to groom our church, but we dressed down ourselves, started coming casual, and said, whatever you do, if by chance one of these people walk through those doors of this church, you guys better love on them. And I'll never forget a Sunday, this lady that went to our church, husband was a crack addict, and she'd been praying for him. And lo and behold, I looked out the back doors of the church, and here comes, I think her name was Joyce. And her husband's name was Sam. Here comes Sam. He has a flannel shirt on, unbuttoned about halfway down. Long, scraggly ponytail down his back. And I'm standing like from here to David sitting back there. And Jerry. And I could see out in the parking lot. And I saw this guy come. And I thought, here's the test. Sam stepped through that back door, and we had a burly usher standing there. And I saw that usher put a hug on him. By the time he got to me, 
That guy probably thought he came to a love fest. He had been hugged and greeted and welcomed. He went into the recovery room. Didn't come into the big church. Several weeks later, he finally came in and sat in the service and sat through several Sundays. One Sunday, I'm up here doing my sermon. I'm not even done yet. I'm still talking, and Sam stood up. Right in the middle of church. And he goes, can't take it anymore. I give up. We stopped service. He came up, put his faith in Jesus Christ. And I learned through that recovery group, because I went back and sat in there sometimes. I thought, man, these people are so stinking honest. The rest of the church needs to be in recovery. Because we're all out there playing the game. They're back there getting real. Spilling their guts to each other. They all hug each other and go on their way. It's really tough to be a light in the community when you're carrying your own junk. My hope is that over time, when we, be, we gather in informal settings like a home, have a little food together, we sit down and start a study and then let the rabbit trails happen. What we discovered over the years of doing this, we've hosted them, we've led them, is somebody will open up and share what they've been carrying. And when they do, other people start opening up and sharing what they're carrying. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen addictions broken, seen depression lifted, anxiety lessened as it's shared. I'm going to end with this. Galatians 6, I think I'm going to end with this. How much time I got? We got another hour or so. Just sharing the men's Sunday school class today, Galatians 6. Talks about bearing one another's burdens. And a little later in that passage, it says to bear your own burden. And those two burdens are different words, different Greek words translated the same usually. The first one is a, a backpack that was meant to be carried by like six guys. And every now and then, life drops one of those on you, doesn't it? A burden that is too much for you to bear alone. And we always say, well, God will never put on you more than you can bear. Well, that's not true, and that's not in the Bible, by the way. When it comes to temptation, he says, I'll never give you a temptation that's greater than you can bear, and there's always going to be a way of escape. But he never said that about life struggles. I would guess like Mary shared with us a couple weeks ago that she was diagnosed with lung cancer. I'm guessing when you first hear that, it's like somebody just dropped a six-man backpack on you and you're flat on the floor with this weight on you that you don't know what to do with. But I've thought, what if 
this small group thing, this K group thing was already gone. And Richard and Mary were part of a group that met in a home and they had five other couples that knew them intimately. And all those other shoulders got under that pack and helped lift it. Said, we're gonna walk with you through this, come heck or high water. Think that would make a little difference? And we, uh, we talk about physical stuff, but you know what drives and fuels most addiction and most, most of our hurts is emotional stuff. It's resentments, it's bitterness, it's anger, it's fear, it's depression. That's what keeps us unhealthy. That's what causes our light not to shine too brightly. So James says, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. So what if we were in an environment that felt safe enough and an opportunity to, to be able to spur each other on and no matter what's shared, to be like the father in the prodigal son story and put your arms around that person that shares the struggle and says, man, we love you and God loves you and we have compassion for you. We're gonna walk through this with you. Now we're talking church. That's what the church should be. We are not to be a show place for saints. We're to be a hospital for sinners. And this pilot program is just to create an environment that's different than any of the environments we have right now. And every one of these environments serve a purpose. This is for us to come and worship, come to gather to celebrate as the body of Christ. Sunday school is a place to be discipled, to learn the word of God. But these home groups are a place for us to learn how to undo the patterns of the past, learn how to get real with each other, learn how to share each other's burdens and struggles, and walk through life together with a team of people that we love and care about. We just moved here from Florida after 16 years in Florida. I don't miss our church one bit. I miss my life group. We had a dozen people that have met together for close to a decade. We know each other deeply. You know what that group liked the best? Because I, I was on staff at the church. I led a men's ministry. That group liked it the best when we came to, we hosted it. It was at our house. They came to our home. They liked it the best when Gail and I were having a struggle. And we shared it with them and asked them to help us. Some of the most joyful nights for those guys were when we were struggling. <laughs> And I miss my men's team. We had these total over probably 125 men, part of that ministry in one way or another. But I had a, a leadership group of about eight guys. Anybody ever hear the 12 Steps program? There's a, a Christian workbook called 12 Steps of Spiritual Journey. 
and it's not aimed at any one particular thing. It's just a process of discipleship. And I went through that with my men. And the fourth step in the workbook, you do a fearless searching moral inventory. And that workbook guides you through basically everything you've ever done in your life that you're ashamed of. The fifth step is you confess all that junk to God and another human being. These guys didn't know what I had up my sleeve, but when we got done with chapter four in the workbook, which we were doing privately, we had a beach retreat and we did the fifth step together. You ever see a group of eight men ball their eyes out? We had eight men around the table telling their junk. A couple of them had been abused when they were little kids, carried it all this time, secret, never told anybody. And they put it on the table. Now, I'm not asking you to do that the first week or two. But hopefully, over time, these groups will get comfortable enough that you can share the things that hold you back from fully following Jesus Christ. I want you to know, every one of those things that you are harboring, when you come clean, our Father has the same response to us as he did to the prodigal son. He's going to run to greet you. He's filled with love and compassion. He's going to let you know, my son already paid for it all. You belong to me. You're my boy. You're my girl. Let's clean this up and move forward together. So I want to encourage you. I know some of you good enough. I can spot leaders a mile away. So we have a, a really nice sign-up sheet out there. It says K groups at the top. And there's a place for somebody that thinks you would like to go through the facilitator training with me and, and be the leader of a group. And we have a place for anybody that thinks we love hospitality, you can use our house. You don't have to be the leader. You can just say our home will be open for one of these groups and uh, we'll match you up with a leader and, and have a group meet at your home. They can be any night of the week, whatever works for your schedule. We gen generally like them to be about an hour and a half long. Gives you a little more time to get to know each other and deal with stuff. There will be some training in advance, and then we hope to launch in March. And we'll put out there, once we get them organized, where they're at, what time they are, what they're going to be studying. Um, and then you can sign up for a group that seems like it fits what you need at the time. There can be couples groups, single groups, mixed groups. It really doesn't matter. Um, there'll be more to come on that. I just wanted to let you know what we need. And so the hopeful outcome of this is imagine how we will multiply the ministry of this church. Right now, pretty much what we do is here. 
most of your neighbors that are not churched are more likely to answer an invite to your home and come to sit in a, a little study group at your home, especially if it applies to them, than they would be to come here on a Sunday morning. People are scared to walk into church first time if they're not churched. If they're really battling, they're afraid they're going to be judged. So think we're going to multiply this campus all over the community in your homes. Your neighbors are going to see cars coming up and parking in front of your house on your night and say, what's going on over there? And you can tell them and invite them. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. One last benefit I'm going to share because it's dear to me. Um, in the year 2000, after being in ministry for a bunch of years, I had a major train wreck. I'm not going into all the gory details this morning, but I got broken. I... I say my breaking was kind of like Peter after the night of denial. When the Lord looked at him and the Bible says he wept bitter tears for denying Christ. I, d I denied Christ in my own way and I got also broken and wept many bitter tears. And I came to realize at that point I need more than what I've been getting. I need people around me that will speak the truth and love to me. I got blind spots, and I, I can't, they're blind to me, so I don't even know they're there, but everybody around me knows they're there. And so what happens is either they talk about me amongst themselves or somebody gets the kahunas to come and talk to me to my face. So I created a policy on my staff that everybody has to have some people that you invite to tell you the truth about you. You want a scary question? Have you been married a while? Ask your spouse, what's it like being married to me? And then brace yourself and be willing to hear the truth. Hopefully it'll be pretty good, but there's always something there. Real growth happens when we get in an environment where we can be truthful with each other, where we can be honest, where the masks, not COVID masks, but the masks that we wear when we present ourselves publicly come off and we get real. That's where real growth happens. So I'm inviting you into growth. Be praying about it. Praying about if God wants you to lead one, host one, be in one. You know what I would like to see? Everybody that's part of this church in a life group. And you want to see our church flourish? It'll happen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time uh, to share my heart, my experience what you've done in us. Thank you for the growth we've experienced in groups where everybody got vulnerable and shared their lives together and 
Gail and I can look back at multiple marriages that have been saved, blessed, and better than they thought they could be as a result of just being honest in a group of people. Lord, I'm sure there's lonely people here. There's broken people here. There's people that probably think if we knew everything about them, we would ban them from this place. But Lord, you want to send us a message that we were created in your image and we are loved eternally. And we are accepted fully through Jesus Christ into this family. And we do have a job to do, but Lord, until we get healed up, until we are healthy and can use our stories to help other people, the stories of brokenness resonate with other people that are broken more than us preaching at them. I use this season of our church, Lord, to take us to another level. We'll give you the glory for what you do in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>